We'll be at Mark chapter 7, uh, 24 to 30 this week. And as you're turning to the to that portion, it's Matthew, Mark, you know, it's the second book of the New Testament. And uh, chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus just dealt with the Pharisees. Jesus dealt with the legalists who believed by doing things, keeping the rules, that they could merit God's favor. In other words, earning God's favor by keeping the rules, right? This is a very man-centered approach to gain God's favor. Now today, Jesus takes the 12, the 12 disciples, and takes them on a road trip, gets away from everybody else, gets away from Jerusalem or the Jews, uh, uh, Galilee, the Jewish cultures, the Jewish religious leaders, and travels north, northwest from Galilee to a place called Tyre, where Jesus is giving the disciples a critical lesson on what faith looks like. So let's rise. Mark 7, 24 to 30, we'll read. We, we rise, if you're a guest, to honor God's word. This is a treasure that we have in our hands, God's word. Mark 7, verse 24 to 30. Now Jesus stood up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he was wanting no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek of Syrophoenician descent, and she kept asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. I pray, Father, that we will see Jesus Christ as more and more glorious after this message. Our hearts and our minds will be taken to another level of love for your son because we know him more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The sermon title is Great Faith. Great Faith. Faith is a central theme of this message today. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11 goes on to say that without faith, it is impossible to please him or to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And to this woman in Matthew 15, 28, he says, your faith is great. Your faith is great. And the 12 needed to learn what great faith looked like. We need to learn what great faith looks like. And the Lord uses this secular woman, this Greek woman, this Syrophoenician woman, to teach the disciples what great faith looks like. So listen up very carefully because this is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. Do we own great faith? Have God, has God given us great faith? But also as we disciple our children, as we disciple our spouses, our friends, other people, do they have great faith? And so the Lord shows us exactly what we need to be like 
And he shows us, and he'll also grow our faith as we understand Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 7 more uh, clearly. Now, just to help us to follow along in this sermon, we've got three marks of great faith. All right, I'll, and we'll go over them, but I'd just like to give it to you from time to time ahead of the sermon so that we can follow along. Great. Mark number one of great faith is repentant. Great faith is repentant. Number two, great faith is resilient. Resilient. Number three, great faith is reverent. So repentant, resilient, and reverent. Before we get to our first point, verse 24 says this, Jesus takes the 12 to Tyre. Tyre, if you look at the map of Israel, southern Israel is Jerusalem. Northern Israel is the Sea of Galilee, which, which they were coming from. And if you go northwest along to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, that is Tyre. Tyre is a historic city along the coast. It's a coastal city, and, and a lot of history has been accomplished there. But it's an unclean, pagan region, non-Jewish godless region where Baal worship originates. The Baal, the false god of Baal, which is pre prevalent in the land, the promised land. This is where Baal worship originated. Queen Jezebel, Ahab's evil wife of Israel, this is her hometown. This kind, this kind of gives you a picture, perhaps what Tyre was like. And this is a woman a woman comes to see Jesus. And this woman in verse uh, 25 says that, or 26 says that she is a Greek of Syrophoenician descent. This, when it says she's a Greek or Gentile, she's not an actual Greek person, but she was Hellenized. That means she was secular. She, was, she had Greek culture forming her. She spoke the language. She thought like a Greek person. Matthew 15 says that she was a Canaanite woman. Now, if you know anything about the promised land, how, Jesus, how the Jews came into the promised land, the Canaanites were the evil op opposers. Were, they were the cursed people. They were the evil idolaters who God commanded Israel to rid of them out of the promised land. And so this woman is a remnant of the Canaanites. That kind of gives you an idea who the Lord is dealing with today. And then in verse 25, let's, let's focus our eyes to verse 25. This woman had a, little, had a problem. Her little daughter had an unclean spirit in, in her, meaning she was possessed. Verse 26 says that a demon has possessed her little daughter. All right, what, is, what does this mean by an unclean spirit or demon? That means that these are fallen angels. These are satanic angels that fall, left heaven, followed Satan, and are doing the work of the devil. And one of these, if not more than one, has possessed this little girl. And before we get into our first point, you know, does demon possession happen today? So I want to ask that question out. I was asked this this week, or this past week, and I want to just make it clear. Grateful for the questions I get from, from people from the church. And yes, demon possession happens today meaning a literal fallen angel, an angel of Satan, possesses a person and takes over their mind and their soul and their being, their, their bodies. Now, the bad news is this. Non-believers have the potential to be possessed. The good news is this. For Christians, those who have the Spirit of God living in us, for, uh, 1 John 4, 4 says this, He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. It is impossible for a demon to possess a Christian. 
a genuine believer who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God will never allow a demon to come into any of us who are in Christ. Okay, that's the good news. Now, the bad news is this for believers. Although demons cannot possess a believer, demons can influence a believer. How does he do that? How do demons do that? Well, Satan's called the father of lies. He is a liar from the beginning, the Bible says. Demon influence happens because Christians believe in lies, doctrines of demons. So you could be a believer, or, but else at the same time be bewitched by lies. So this is why we go through the scriptures. This is why we teach the Bible to cast out bad teaching, to false things, so that we are freed up from the doctrines of demons, any things that we believe that are not true. Now, let's get to the points here now. I just, I just wanted to cover that. That was more of a, a timeout before the sermon just because I was asked that question. I really wanted to take a few minutes to address that issue. Great faith is repentant. Point number one, great faith is repentant. And what does it mean to be repentant? That means you have a new course in life. You redirect your life. That means that you turn from sin and turn to Jesus. That means you turn from following and worshiping idols, false gods, and you turn to Jesus as your God. That's a, a movement of repentance. You do an about face. And this is exactly what this woman does. This woman who's identified as a Canaanite in Matthew 15, identified as a Gentile, it is completely reasonable to think that this woman, before she came to Christ, would have pleaded with the gods that she grew up with to heal her daughter. Think about it. She, she, probably, she probably was thinking, I've already prayed and offered sacrifices to Baal and these other gods. I've already visited and listened to these false priests and visitor temples to see if they could help my little girl. But nothing. They can't do anything for her. Therefore, she turns to Jesus. This is repentance. She turned from being an idol worshiper to following Christ. In verse 25, it says this, but after hearing of him, isn't that interesting? But after hearing from him, this is how this works, right, church? People hear about Jesus Christ. People, God uses people like you, me, to tell people about Jesus Christ. Maybe this, that's why you're here today. Your friend, your neighbor, your relative invite you to come to service because they know you're going to hear about Jesus Christ. This is how this worked back then. This is how this works today. Bible says that you, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So perhaps someone said to her, he's here in Tyre, the one that we heard about who's a miracle worker. You need to go see him. Go see him right now. And I hear he's in this house. And what does she do? The Bible says in verse 25, immediately she came and fell at his feet. Matthew 15, 25 says that she was bowing down to the, to the Lord at his feet. This word bowing down carries the meaning of worship. She was worshiping. She was in a posture of worship as she came to the Lord, begging him and saying, Lord, help me. My little girl is possessed by a demon. I need your help. And she goes on to say, have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. See, see what happened to this woman? She used to frequent other temples, frequent other false gods, and now she's up to her wits end. They don't work. 
I've given to these things. I've sacrificed to these things. I've chanted these things. They don't work. She basically does what 1 Thessalonians 1 9 says. She turned from God, she turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what she does. She repents. Perhaps that's why you're here today. Perhaps you're tired of the religion of self where you have to achieve things, have to earn people's approval. Perhaps you're tired of trying to live for other people. Perhaps you're, you come from a Buddhist background, you know this, that statue is just a statue. Perhaps you're tired of that. Perhaps you're tired of having to live by religious rules to earn God's favor. Perhaps that's why you're here today. And perhaps that's why you agreed to come. See, this woman owned faith. She, was, she had faith before coming to Christ, but it was a misdirected faith. She once bowed down to perhaps Baal and Astart, one of the prominent false gods of her region. And now she finds herself at the feet of Jesus Christ. And what does she say in Matthew 15? She calls him Lord. Lord. Meaning, my allegiance is to you now, Jesus. What else does she call him? Son of David. That's a messianic term. That means that she acknowledges him as a savior. Lord, you're my God, my Savior. Help me, have mercy on me. Meaning she needs grace. I need you to rescue me out of this situation. Lord, son of David. This is repentance. This is exactly what repentance looks like. A changed life, a change of direction. Great faith is repentant. And today, many people have faith, like I shared earlier. We live in an age where there's many different types of faith, but everybody has some type of faith. Like I said, maybe you come out of an Eastern religion, something like Buddhism or something else. I hear a lot of people say, I believe in God. This kind of this nebulous God. I just believe in God. I, I hear people who says, hey, trust in yourself. Maybe a humanistic approach where you be the, the God of your life. You take the reins of your life. You make your uh, destiny happen. You make it happen. And that's kind of what's pumped out there today, a humanistic approach where you be you. You be the best version of you. These are all things that point to man at the center, Right? Just like this woman, have you turned from other gods to Christ as your Lord and Savior? This is the issue here. This is the first and for foremost application of this situation. Are you doing like this woman here? Where you have sick and tired of these other false gods living for work, living for an income, living for other things. These are all good things, but these aren't ultimate things. You realize, man, I, I'm up to my wit's end. I have everything, yet I don't have peace. Well, this woman turns from those things and turns to Christ and, and acknowledges, Jesus, you're better than any of these other things. 
to our guests right now, if you are here, you're not a Christian, perhaps you're exploring Christianity, we're so happy that you're here. <laughs> you're, you're the reason why we're here. We want people to hear about Jesus Christ. We want you to come at the feet of Jesus. And the heart of the Christian faith is this, it's about the gospel message. In essence, the gospel message says this, is Jesus is better than anything else. Better than your family, better than your health, better than money, better than popularity, better than any other false gods. Christ is better than anything else. And you could have him too, if you believe what she believed. Do you believe that she, he is the savior? He's the son of, son of David, the Messiah, the savior of the world. Do you believe that Jesus, who is God, died to save sinners like you and me? See, this is one of the critical elements. Do you believe that you're a sinner, that you will be judged by God someday, but God himself loved the world, sent his one and only son, and he died on the cross, took the wrath of God for sinners like you and me. Do you believe this? Do you also believe that he is Lord, that you will turn away from following after your own self, turn away from following after another God, another person who you wanted to please more than anyone else. Do you want to please God now? Jesus is that God. See, friends, if you want to have a new life, if you want to be born again, this is the message that you believe, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners by dying on the cross, and I turn from myself, I turn from something else, I repent, and I choose to follow Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is the essence of Christianity. He is Lord. He is Lord and Savior. And to my brothers and sisters who have committed their lives to Christ, I want to have a word for you on this as well. Idols are sticky. What do I mean by that? <laughs> They're sticky. I mean, well, our, it's, it, they linger with us. Just because I, I don't, uh, I, I've turned from following the idols, they kind of chase us sometimes. They're kind of stuck to us. We've got idol residue on us still, Right? I think for us as a Christian, it's called sanctification. Once you're saved, you're saved, but there's a sanctification process that takes place to the day we die and when we see the Lord. That sanctification process means you're washing your hands off of the sticky idolatry, stuff that the world keeps telling you, like, you need this, don't you? You need to go back into that life, don't you? You need to have this uh, be part of your identity, don't you? I mean, those things are sticky, we need to constantly wash our hands, constantly repent, turn from these things. This is the Christian life. So if you're a Christian sitting here saying, Pastor, I still struggle with, uh, with temptation and, and sin. I still perhaps love my family too much or more than you, God. Perhaps I, my work is more important than you, God. Or perhaps it's something dark. Things that you're watching on the internet that you shouldn't be watching. As a Christian man or woman, this is the life of a Christian. You constantly are washing your hands off by, and constantly turning, turning from and turning to, turning from and turning to. It, it, that's the life of the Christian. So don't be discouraged if like, man, am I the only one that struggles with sin? Absolutely not. We all, we're all in that battle. But if you've given your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior, trusted him as your Lord and Savior, this is the battle that we have. This is called sanctification, and the more you do it, the more you will grow. The more you trust that Jesus is better than anything else, you'll grow. Let's go to our next point here. Great faith is resilient. Res I like that word, resilient. Great faith 
basically never stops. God holds us. God supplies us with great faith. He's the one that holds us. He's the one that allows us to persevere to the very end. And the 12 had great faith right underneath their noses right there, did they not? They had this woman begging the Lord, a Canaanite woman coming to the Lord with an incredible level of devotion. And what did the 12 do? They didn't get it. In Matthew 15, 23, they, they said, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. Lord, send her away. She's cramping our style. Right? You would think they would be praising God and, and, and singing hallelujah. They're like, no, no, no. She, this, she's a little too fired up here. Please send her away, Lord. We need a little peace and quiet. Clearly the 12 didn't get it yet. How did she respond to the disciples? How did she respond? Well, let's look at verse 26. Second part. And she kept asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. She kept asking. She kept begging. She was insistent. She was persistent. She had resiliency. She said, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Matthew 15 says she was bowing down, screaming, Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. She was like a pit bull that took a bite and wouldn't let go. She's staying with uh, her posture the whole time. She's not taking no for an answer. So great faith is resilient. Resilient. As I was studying this portion of this mother who undoubtedly loved her daughter, I mean, next to God, this mother who's unnamed, this Canaanite woman, loved her daughter so much. It touches my heart to see dad and mom here with their children, their daughters. Because next to God, the parents lo generally love their p children no matter more than anybody else. It reminds me of an illustration that one of my friends gave during his sermon, one of my classmates, and he talked about Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley was a, lived in the 1700s. She had two famous sons, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. John Wesley was a great evangelist who God used mightily to spread the gospel. Charles Wesley wrote over 6,500 hymns. I mean, we sing some of his songs today. This is, this is Susanna Wesley. And Susanna Wesley was a faithful mother. Susanna Wesley wasn't without challenges, though. She, they had 19 children. Nine of them died as infants. She, she understood heartache. She understood loss. She had challenges in her marriage. This godly woman had challenges in marriage. Her, her husband was put in prison a few times because of massive debt. But she vowed to spend more time praying and being devoted to the Lord than with leisure and entertainment. And amidst the busyness of life, trying to raise 10 children, the legendary story goes where she had a signal for the, the children. Whenever she would put the apron over her head, that told the children, don't mess with me, I'm, I'm spending time with the Lord. She would take time from the busyness of life and put an apron, can, can you imagine that with me? An apron, and it created like a little tent, and she would spend time praying and reading through the scriptures. That's Susanna Wesley. And this is what the children saw, and when they, they knew. When mom, mama is underneath that apron, Leave her alone. She's spending time with the Lord. 
She even prayed things such as this, help me, Lord, to remember that religion is not to be confined to the church or closet or exercise only in prayer and meditation, but that everywhere I am, I'm in your presence. Right? She practiced the presence of God always, and the children saw that. And she persisted to pray for her husband, her children during that time. See, sisters, whether you have one or 10 children or you have no children, you're a spiritual mother or spiritual sister to others, the quality of your faith is revealed in your prayer life. How are you praying and interceding at the feet of Jesus for those who you're mothering? Like I said, spiritual mothers, this is what church is about. This is not, I'm not just talking about biological mothers. I'm, uh, certainly a, mo- a mother who has children biologically is called to disciple them, but I'm talking about the church here. Older women, younger sisters. Older men, younger men. This is what we're called to do, to disciple one another, to mother and father spiritually one another. But the, mo- the power comes in when we're praying. Are we begging God for for, for interceding on behalf of these spiritual children of ours? Are we being resilient with God today where those who you have discipled all of a sudden are denied the faith? Those who you discipled all of a sudden are marrying a non-believer all of a sudden. What happened? Are you still being persistent, resilient? Lord, bring them back, bring them back. Even these little ones, as we're busy feeding and changing, and I remember those days. You know, I have barely enough time to take a shower yourself. I could only imagine young mothers or young little ones at home. Prayer. Do the little ones see that prayer and devotion to the Lord is so important that not even they could interrupt that time? Susanna Wesley. Grandparents, are you interceding for your grandchildren? Even if you see that your own children aren't necessarily faithful, are you interceding? Are you the intercessory between God and your grandchildren, that you're praying for their souls, that they will see Jesus Christ as better than anything else this world has to offer? And you're persistently praying, praying, and praying at the feet of Jesus. When the world is screaming to you, be quiet, go do something else because there's so many things. No, I need to pray. I need to spend time at the feet of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the answer doesn't come right away. Matter of fact, most of the time, the answer doesn't come right away. It's because he's testing you and me. He wants us to grow in our resiliency. He wants us to grow in our perseverance, that we keep praying. And I'm super encouraged because as I look out, literally as I look out, I see examples of parents whose children were wayward and they were faithful to their Lord, praying for their children, and now their older children are walking with the Lord. Right? Let those Older saints being an example to you. Perhaps your children are wayward right now. This is how this works. Brotherhood. Big brother, little brother. Big sister, little sister. Certainly it happens in the home. Certainly, I understand that. But we're talking about the church. It does, it's not just relegated to that. 
Let's go to the third and final point here. Great faith is reverent. Great faith is reverent. Reverent, I like that word too. This is something that's missing for the Lord today, isn't it? I believe in God, yet we act like gods. We decide what's right and wrong. Reverence. I'm dealing with a holy and living God. Do we have that attitude within our hearts? I'm dealing with somebody that's greater than anything else. We know how to show reverence to, don't do we not, church? We go to like a famous concert hall or like a famous stadium. We're around kind of a famous person. There's kind of an awe at times. I, I've been there before. We know how to show reverence as a people. But in some ways, I think we need to recapture reverence for the God of the universe. The God of the universe. How does the Lord respond now? <laughs> Verse 27. And he says to her, let the children be satisfied first. Let the children be satisfied first. For it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Right, is this kind of almost shocking how the Lord would respond to her begging and pleading like my daughter is demon possessed. I need your help. Help me, Lord. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, right? And no, I need to feed the children first. I'm not here to take care of the dogs. What? This kind of takes some explanation here, okay? So stay with me. I want to make sure we understand what the Lord is saying. The Lord is perfect. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. He does have personality too in his humanness. He definitely has personality. Praise God. Matthew 15, 24 says this. I will send to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when the, these metaphors, bread is in essence the benefits of the gospel, the benefits of salvation through Christ. Children is the house of Israel. These are Israelites. This is a small parable. Dogs are the Gentiles. That's basically all of us, unless some of us are of Jewish descent. We're all Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, okay? And that could have been taken as an insulting term. I mean, you Gentile dog was a pretty much a bad way to call somebody. That was very insulting. And these dogs in the day were like these dirty scavengers. You know, in, in my neighborhood, we got these coyotes walking down the street sometimes. And I think they come down to wash and they look mangy and gnarled, right? And they're looking through trash. And that's basically what you saw as an Israelite dog in the Middle East during that time. However, the, the term that the, um, that the Lord uses is not for the mangy coyote type of dog, but it's a, it's a softer term. It's a softer term. It's a term that refers to a pet, a domesticated animal, even a, perhaps even a little puppy. So in other words, the Lord is saying, the children need to eat first before the pets. I mean, just common sense. And this is consistent with scripture. And I just, I just want to take some time here. Throughout redemptive history, God has chosen the Israelites. In Genesis 12, he, 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 God gives Abraham his covenant. They call it the Abrahamic covenant, where he says, through your family, through your seed, Abraham, who is the father of the Jews, all the families of the nations will be blessed. But it's through your family first. 
Isaiah 42, 49, other parts of Isaiah said, Israel, you are the light to the nations. Meaning, God will bless the, the nation Israel and the overflow will bless the rest of the world. Romans 1.16, famous verse by Paul, Romans 1.16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this is completely consistent with what Scripture has said on how the Lord will operate. The Lord knows what he said in the Old Testament. The Lord is consistent with how he's carrying out his plans. And now we get to experience the overflow today. But I, the Lord knew what was in the woman's heart. I mean, she was demonstrating great faith already. But the Lord was testing her with this statement. The Lord is good. Everything that the Lord does is good. The Lord was testing her for the benefit of the 12 and also the benefit of all of us, all disciples that would come after the 12. He already knew her faith. So how did she react to the Lord's words? How did she react to the Lord's words? I mean, if you're honest, today, if the Lord says something like that, he'd probably get sued, right? Over defamation or, or discrimination, right? If you're honest. Like, what? Did, the Lord, did this woman, this Canaanite woman, did she get bent out of shape? Like, I'm not a dog. Who are you calling a dog? No. Verse 28 says this. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. She responds with great reverence. Great faith is reverence. She says, Yes, Lord. Church family, to, to say no, Lord, that's an oxymoron. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And how many of us today pick and choose what we want to believe out of the scriptures? We like salvation. I don't like sacrifice. No, Lord. Yes, I like to be secured in the love of Christ. But being honest and giving up some things at work, no, Lord, that, that doesn't work. This woman, I don't know how she liked it, but she says, yes, Lord. So too many of us at times perhaps are editing God's word where we like some portions, other portions, it doesn't agree with the culture, therefore, I'm not gonna promote this, I'm not gonna believe this. That's editing God's word. That's not saying, yes, Lord. Too many so-called churches and so many so-called Christians are doing this today. It's a mockery, yet they call him Lord. Yes, Lord, this, this, this poor Canaanite woman says, she responds with great reverence. What else happens here? Verse 28, instead of, instead of getting all bent out of shape, verse 28, yes, Lord, you see her wit, you see her charm, she gets it. She, she has this playful banter with the Lord here. This is where, it's so neat where you can see how the Lord and her are having this one-on-one -on -one banter as if they have some kind of a connection. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She's showing reverence She's showing humble submission to the Lord. She's saying, I know that I'm not an Israelite. I know I'm not part of your chosen people. I know I'm a Canaanite idol worshiper. I know this. I know you need to feed the children first, but please give me a crumb. That's all I need. 
Just give me a crumb. I don't deserve anything. I am a nobody, but just give me a crumb. All I want is a crumb from you, Lord. I'll be satisfied. Just give me one crumb from you, Lord. That's great faith. I just need something from you. Yes, Lord, take care of the Israelites. Throw me a bone. I am a dog. I don't deserve this. You see, great faith is reverent. It's a humble submission to the Lord. It echoes the, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourn over your sin, they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are lowly, they'll inherit the earth. I'm not lifted up, I'm nobody. I don't have any rights, nor am I fighting for my rights. I'm just happy to be in your presence, Lord. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. She was hungry for the Lord. Now contrast that with the Pharisees, who Jesus and the 12 just dealt with. They had the whole loaf. I mean, they had everything. They had the Old Testament. They had the, old, the law. They had the promises. They knew the Abrahamic covenant. They knew all these things. They had firsthand experience of Jesus' teaching. Jesus isn't preaching here. This is not a preaching tour. He's trying to get some R&R, some training for the 12. The Pharisees have firsthand preaching and teaching. The Pharisees have firsthand experience of his miracles. Yet, they're completely arrogant and prideful. They are spiritually entitled. I deserve this. Look what we do. The opposite. That's not great faith. That's great faith in yourself. That's not great faith in the Lord. This is critical that we understand this, isn't it, church? That great faith, how the Lord sees what great faith is, is very critical. That great faith is repentant. We actually turn away from our old gods and follow Christ as Lord. Great faith is resilient where we believe in Christ so much that all our daily needs, we're going to him. We're interceding, we're begging him, we're pleading with him at the feet of Christ. Great faith is reverent, where Jesus is Lord and we are not. Jesus is God, I am not, and I'm happy to be in this kingdom. How does this end here? Let's look at verse 29 here. The Lord is gracious. Instead of treating her like a dog, the Lord treats her like a daughter. Isn't that amazing? Look what happens in verse 29. And he said to her, because of this answer in Matthew 15, it's because, of your, because your faith is great, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. She responds with great faith and, go, and leaves. And going back to her home, she found the child, her little precious daughter, lying on the bed, the demon having left. You see, this is what great faith looks like. Every single non-Jew, that's me and all of you perhaps, are grafted in, the Bible says. We're grafted into the promises of the, to the Israelites. We got ushered in late. We, we got plugged in late. And God always had a plan to do this. We are all dogs. We're all nobodies. Not one of us deserves to be in the kingdom of God. And remember this, it's always better it's always better to be at the feet of Jesus 
rather than standing on our own. It's always better bowing down, falling at the feet of Jesus than standing on our own. This is the message of of Christianity, that we need God and he loved the world and he died for us and he's carrying us into eternity. This is the great love of God. Have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation where nothing we could do merits God's favor? It's all about trusting him, knowing that we're spiritually dead dogs before him. I mean, if that pricks your conscience, that's good. That's who we are. We're dead dogs until the Lord treats us as his sons and daughters because we've come to him and trusted him and you've begged him, just give me a crumb of you, Lord. That's all I need. I don't need the whole thing. I don't deserve any of it. I just need a crumb. I just want a crumb. I don't even deserve a crumb. Just give me a crumb. Isn't our Lord great? This is what we're talking about. Can't you see the glory of the Lord here? How, how even he dealt with this precious woman who's just struggling in her, in her pain with her daughter. And he just deals with her in a way that she could understand. Isn't the Lord great? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to see what great faith looks like. Thank you for how you are gracious to this woman, Lord. Thank you how you are gracious to all of us who have trusted their, our lives to you. Father, I pray for those who are here who have trusted in other things, even perhaps attend church, but they really trust in their achievements, they trust in their good works. I particularly pray for those right now that they would know that we are spiritually dead and we deserve nothing, yet you offer us everything because of mercy and grace. You give us what we don't deserve. I pray for these, that they would repent, they would turn from their gods, turn from their sins, and follow you, trust in you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. Will you do this? Thank you, Father, for your great kindness to us. I thank you for just the opportunity to proclaim this message of good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.